Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's show. Today, we're going to be hearing from someone who is in corporate management. It's the first time we've heard from a leader who is in charge of teams in the corporate world. So I'm excited to give you this perspective on leadership. Joining me in the studio today are my friends and fellow leaders, Jonathan Bethay and Maria Hardiman. During the course of this interview, we're going to be hearing from this particular leader about some of what he considers to be the first order principles of leadership, which essentially end up being the traits that a leader should have. And so I wanted to start off today by going to you two and seeing what do you think is a must-have trait for a good leader? The thing that I see as the most essential foundational trait for every leader is honesty. And the reason I think that is such a foundational thing is because, of course, there's so many traits that that every leader need, um, and any leader would be lacking without a number of those. But honesty builds trust. And without trust, a team is not a team. It can't function. It it can't, uh, you know, you can't, if you can't trust your leader, you know, there's nothing there. There's no, no basis for uh, following uh, just things like that. Uh, so I would say honesty would be the thing that that would be the most foundational, most essential trait for every leader. Yeah, that's key. Maria, how about you? Yeah, that's good. I think that it's important to have teachability as a leader. I think that it's something that can be learned. Some people have it really naturally. They just naturally have that teachable spirit. They can learn something, be flexible enough to apply it. And there are leaders who also have to learn how to do that. Let me step back and observe. And and he talks a little bit about that during the interview. So I think teachability is really important. Yeah, I do like the elements in the interview that he has about teachability and the importance of being flexible as a leader and also open to correction as a follower. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think is really important is a worthy vision. If a leader is going to be calling people to follow after him or follow after her, it's important that 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 leader has a vision that's worth following. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But at the end of the day, if you're following after someone and things get tough, you're going to start asking, why am I doing this? And if you find out that there's nothing behind the why, Mm -hmm. then what's the point? Well, our guest today is a recently retired Price Waterhouse Coopers partner. During his 38-year corporate career, he provided financial planning and tax compliance services to high net worth individuals. He led the personal financial services practice in the Pittsburgh and Chicago offices. His final nine years were internal to the firm, serving the partners and staff as the national benefits leader. In addition to his professional career, he has been active as a leader of nonprofit boards in Pittsburgh, Chicago, and his alma mater. 
He is a CPA with a BA from Asbury University and an MBA from the University of Pittsburgh. Here is Larry Brown. Larry, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Josh. Good to be here. So I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast for a while because of your experience in the corporate world. And when a lot of people think about the corporate world, they sometimes question the morals and ethics of leaders at the very top of the business world. And I just wanted to get your experience here. Is that the case or is there a misconception about leadership in corporate America? Josh, I think there might be uh, something of a misconception. Certainly where there are moral failures and um, and bad actions, those tend to get the publicity. That's the way the news works. The, the negative always uh, becomes the headline. But I've found in, in corporate America, uh, the corporate leaders are they're just people too. And uh, they match up pretty well with the leaders uh, across the board, whether it be for-profit, not-for-profit. I find uh, I find some great leaders, high levels of integrity and uh, and and moral high ground uh, in corporate leadership. Could you share a little bit about your experience at Price Waterhouse Coopers? Sure, my my role at PwC primarily has been uh, client facing. The first part of my career, the vast majority of my career, was spent client facing. I uh, worked with teams to serve high net worth individuals, corporate executives, uh, so forth. Uh, we were dealing with broad-based financial planning as well as income tax compliance. Uh, my role was to both develop the staff that worked with me, both technically and from a client service perspective, but then also develop the relationship with the clients. So to gain new clients and then to serve the ones we have. So that was the majority of my career. The last nine years of my career, though, more specifically from a leadership perspective, uh, I wore three hats, if you will. Uh, One is, and all of this, I came internal to the firm. So I wasn't serving external clients. Uh, I led a a small team that provided financial education uh, to the, the, the partners of the firm. So there were, I led approximately 10 people. Uh, we served about 3,500 partners of the U.S. firm. So uh, the ratio wasn't real good there, sure. but somehow we made it work. The second hat that I wore, maybe is easier to understand, I was the national benefits leader for PricewaterhouseCoopers. There, I was leading a, a team both internal to the firm that were involved in benefits but then a lot of our vendors who were providing services in this area of uh, the developing strategies related to the benefits for our employees and partners, as well as administering the plans. Here I was managing about 30 people internally and, and about 35 different entities outside that were providing some level of services for 55,000 partners, employees, and retirees of the firm. And then finally, and this was maybe the most fun role that I had, was I got to chair the trustees of the qualified retirement plans. So there were nine other trustees, all partners in the firm, very well versed technically in the areas related to finance and asset management. And we got to oversee a little more than $13 billion worth of, uh, of assets and investments. 
it was a lot of fun. So when you think back over all those experiences and working with both internal and external teams, what is it that gets you most excited as a leader working with people? What gets me excited is seeing people come together and, uh, and everybody get to their, their fullest potential. Let me just back up a, a moment and give you uh, part of my leadership development came from an unlikely source. Early in my career, uh, besides working for the firm, I was a volunteer choir director at a local church. Okay. And I learned more about leadership, I think, standing in front of this volunteer choir uh, than I did in, in most any other aspect of, uh, of my development. Uh, what I found was there was beauty in, in diversity here in that uh, no one could sing all the parts. Not everyone was a soloist, thankfully. <laughs> and, and, and my role was to make these individuals come together and give their best, no matter what their particular role or um, contribution was. Uh, then when it all came together, I just need to make sure we started at the right time, we ended at the right time, and it all fit together in between. And, and that in a sort of a microcosm is how I've looked at leadership over the years, recognizing that there are various people with various abilities that, um, that all can contribute. And the key is to get the best out of each individual, and that will lead to the best result for the organization. So this is a, a slight deviation from some of your work at PwC, but when you're leading volunteers, you you may be working with people that don't have the expertise or the skills that you're looking for. It can be a little more difficult when you're working in a for-profit area. How do you lead well when there are people that may not have the skills that they need to function at the level that's required of them when it comes to a more corporate setting? Is that something that you've had to deal with and any insight there? Yeah, it is. And, and again, I would say both in a volunteer situation as well as for-profit corporate uh, America, uh, there are always going to be people that, um, that don't measure up. Uh, and you have to keep in mind the goal that the entity was formed for and make sure that you're serving it well, but also being mindful of the individual involved. Sure. Uh, I've made, uh, I'm not happy about this, but I've made people cry mm. both in corporate America and in the volunteer set. You know, when somebody shows up, they want to audition for the church choir and they can't match, uh, match pitch. Mm. Um, you, you have to help them understand that maybe their calling is uh, in the nursery or uh, in, in some other way. And, and the same holds true in corporate America. I served on a, uh, on a board of a, a publishing company at one point in time. And we had an old sage, uh, a, a guy that was retiring from the board, uh, having been involved in, in boards and, and organizations for many, many years. I, he was well into his 80s. And, and he left us with this advice with regards to, to people. He said, when you look at your staff, you want to shine your stars, you want to feed your workhorses, and you want to burn the dead wood to keep everybody else warm. Hmm. And it, it just acknowledged that, that there are going to be different levels of contribution, but there are going to be situations where, with the sensitivity, you have to redirect someone to a different area of contribution. 
And when it, when it comes to that, that metaphor, it's really easy as a leader to shine your stars or to work your horses when those metaphorically, when those people realize that they're a horse or a star, how do you handle it when someone may be more of a workhorse, but thinks that they should be a star? Uh, yeah, that's uh, everybody thinks they should be a star, right? <laughs> especially, especially in in the world of Price Waterhouse Coopers. Uh, you get hired into this firm uh, not because you had a C average in high school, college, and graduate sure. school. You were always at the top of your class. The majority of the people in the firm are certified public accountants and have gone through a rigorous uh, exam in order to uh, be able to be licensed that way. And, and so that's where it provided a, a lot of challenge, where people are used to being the star, always told that they are among the best. Well, now when you're in a group that everybody was among the best, there still are gradations. And, and so what you do, or what I've done, with those that are the workhorses, if you will, that aspire to be the stars is to do one of two things either help them help them be, begin to understand what it is that they need to do to be a star or in some cases be comfortable confident and assured of their value by being a workhorse have you found that when you have been able to work with those people who want to aspire to more, that oftentimes those people have been able to reach that, or is it not quite that simple? It's not quite that simple, um, and it may be. Sometimes it's, it's redirecting someone to another area. For example, I can think of times where Somebody wanted to be a star in a particular group or part of the organization, and they just weren't going to make it there. So use an example. In the business that I was in, it was very important for you to be able to connect on a personal level with somebody that was a corporate executive or a high net worth individual to be able to connect with them personally. You needed to have the technical skills in order to serve them, but it was that personal connection. Well, we had some people that would come into the, into the group, and they were very good technically. Uh, from an income tax perspective, I referred to them as code heads. Hmm. They, could they could refer to the section of the internal revenue code that said you can or you can't do that, but they couldn't connect with the person on an individual basis. So there, what the what the, the challenge was, was one, to determine the skill set that they had and then to redirect them. How could they be used either within the group or if not in this group, another group for their ability, that technical skill? Where could they become a star within the broader organization? Sure, sure. So a few minutes ago, you were talking about some of the commonalities between your various leadership experiences. I know you've had some leadership on nonprofit boards. Are there any differences between board leadership and working, for instance, at PwC? Uh, there, there certainly are. Um, first of all, a, a board of an organization, and this depends a bit on the maturity of the organization, but let's take a, a, a very mature organization 
you need to keep in mind there that the board's function is around governance and and policy, not management. Mm -hmm. And so there you have to wear a hat that fits into that governance and board policy. If it's a less mature organization that doesn't have a full management team or you're in a leadership environment within the management team itself, now you're not focused on governance and policy so much, but you're focused on getting it, getting it done in a management role. So, so it can be very different there. And, it's, and I don't separate those so much between nonprofit and for-profit, but rather um, the understanding your role as the board, uh, a board member of a mature organization versus a management role or an organizational, helping the organization get to the goal in a uh, meaningful way. So you've had almost four decades of corporate leadership experience, as well as you've already talked about some leadership experience beyond that. When you think back across all of your years as a leader, are there any first order principles that kind of float to the top as most important or most helpful, especially as we think about young leaders who may be starting off a career or thinking toward that future? Uh, yes, the answer to your question is yes. And, and I would break them down maybe this way. It is very, very important, no matter whether you're a new leader or an experienced leader, whether you're involved in a nonprofit or a for-profit, uh, very important for the leader to keep in mind the common goal. What is the goal of this, uh, of this organization? You have goals at different levels. You have a, a broad-based mission statement, and then under that, some, some goals that you think that will help achieve that. So you're, if you're in an overall leadership, you're looking at that mission statement. How does everything fit into that? If you're within management, you've got to look within your part of what you're leading. What is the goal? So keep the goal in mind always. Integrity is a must. Now, you won't find all leaders having integrity, but the successful leaders uh, are the ones that have integrity. The third thing that I would raise would be preparation. I've heard it said that if you're going to to teach, you spend three hours to prepare for one hour. And I would suggest that when it comes to leadership, we often think of leaders in their role sort of out in front of the group. The reality is an effective leader is the one that has spent more time preparing for being out in front than actually being out in front. Hmm. So common goal, integrity, preparation. Letting uh, what I've referred to already, let those that you're leading, let them shine in their roles. Let them, let them uh, have uh, success. And then for an effective leader, I think, there is a balance between self-confidence and pride. Uh, it is good for a leader to have self-confidence, to be able to take risk and do that with confidence. Uh, but you have to watch. Sometimes self-confidence can turn in to pride. So goal of the organization, taking care of your constituency and the balance of self-confidence and pride are sort of the mix that I would put out there. And that balance between self-confidence and pride is a difficult one at times to to assess in the moment. Sometimes when you look back, you can say, okay, yeah, I was being prideful there. A lot of times, especially people that do try to lead with integrity and do try to lead well, may fall into pride 
Are there any tips that you can give off the top of your head that can help people to assess whether they're falling into pride as a leader? Yeah, I would say listen to others. Uh, if, if, once you get once you get prideful, there there will always be somebody that's willing to <laughs> knock you off the sure. uh, off the box that you're, <laughs> you put yourself up on. Um, but no, listen listen to others. Um, uh, don't take anyone too seriously. Realize that um, uh, the the people that you interact with, though maybe ten twenty percent of them will be the ones that will will actually speak to you and maybe build you up. And then you'll have the other 5% on the other uh, end of the equation that are there to just to knock you down. Sure. Don't put too much credence in what either one of those groups say and look for opportunities to talk to that group in the middle. You know, the 75% or so that, uh, that, that don't speak up and reach out to them and, and get their impressions of who you are. One of the best people, if you happen to be coupled and have a spouse, uh, is to go to your spouse mm. and, and ask for reaction and feedback in a loving way most of the time. They will bring, <laughs> they will bring you back down to earth if necessary. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've talked about the importance of having people that can speak into your life. Does the corporate world, from your experience, do a good job of providing that accountability and mentorship that can give you that perspective, or is that something that you have to seek out for yourself oftentimes? In, in the corporate world, at least my experience, uh, we certainly recognize the importance of mentorship and coaching and did uh, a lot of work trying to build that into our our environment, our system. I, it, from day one at, uh, at PwC, I, I had a coach and I continue to have a coach until the day I retired. And I was a coach uh, to, to others uh, along the way. Sometimes those work very, very well. Mm. Sometimes they don't work well at all. It's important to have those types of relationships for the specifics of the entity. But leadership, if you're, if you're fashioning yourself as a leader, a lot of time the best way, the best place to go for mentoring or coaching is actually outside of the organization in which you find yourself. There are other people that have observed you in various situations that can provide very important input to your development as a leader. How about before you entered into a professional career? Were there were there people in your life that helped you in your development as a leader? Even if you maybe weren't a leader in your younger years, were there people or experiences that helped you to develop into the person you are today as a leader? I would uh, I would start with with my father. Uh, my father is a mill worker and a mechanic. Uh, didn't have the opportunity to graduate from high school, although he did a GED later and and did. Uh, I saw him graduate from high school. Um, but he was, he was a great leader from this perspective. He understood people and he was a great teacher. He would often allow me to do something that he could have done a whole lot faster, but he allowed me to do it. And, uh, and he taught me that way. I'll go back to choir again, a high school choir director that taught me some basic principles around leadership, a college professor. And certainly there were several, uh, over the, the, uh, 30 plus years I was at PwC, uh, partners there that, um, that I looked to for 
advice on leadership and saw them by example help me develop as as a leader. So as you're moving into retirement and looking back across the leadership opportunities that you had in your career, what are some of the areas where you feel like you've been able to have the most impact and some of the things that you've been able to influence the most and have found the most value in being a part of? Where I think I've had the most impact is in the development of people. There's a, there's a John Maxwell quote. Now, now, I've used this quite a bit in the last six, eight months. I came across it. And in looking back at my career, I thought, well, this is, this is insightful. Uh, but for those that are just starting their career, I would, I would suggest this makes some sense as well. And I've modified this just a little bit in, in my own okay. mind. But John Maxwell said this, that achievement comes when you learn to do great things for yourself. Success comes when you develop leaders to do great things for you. Mm. And legacy is created only when you put your organization into a position to do great things without you. Wow. And, and, and that really resonated for me here at retirement because, yes, I achieved. There were some things that I could do great things for myself. Uh, I, I had success when I became a leader and could develop others to do those great things for me, for themselves, and our clients as well. And then most, uh, uh, well, I, I was about to say the most prideful thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, not pride, satisfaction. Let's go with that word. Satisfaction came as I retired from the firm that I believe that at least in the part of the firm that I had impact on, I've left it in a position where it can do great things. Oh, that's awesome. Without me. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. What would you have told your younger self, if you could go back and, and talk to your younger self when you were just starting off, what would be some advice that you would have given to yourself? And then as a follow-up, would that advice be the same today for young people or would you be giving different advice today? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the advice to the 21, 22-year-old Larry Brown that I would give would be, be true to yourself your faith, and your principles. That's the foundation on which you need to build. Observe, observe, observe. Hmm. Look at the people around you and adopt what is appropriate and stay away from what you think is inappropriate. Another thing that I would say to myself is, is be flexible. Wow, the future is unknown. The opportunities that we can't even guess. Uh, that are out there. So be flexible and go with it. Be confident, but not prideful would be part of it. And then understand that communication is very, very important. If you're going to be a leader of a team, uh, if you're going to be a member of a team, it's very important to communicate with the others that are involved so that you can stay on track and move towards that goal that you're, you're after. Those things right there sound like they are fairly timeless. Is that the, the same advice you'd be giving to young people today? Yeah, I, I think so. But where, where I would uh, maybe be a little more directive today is to also, and I'm not sure that at age 22 I would have, would have fully understood this, but but understand that the future is going to be very different than what we imagine it to be. Hmm. Um, 
Uh, tomorrow is not a thousand todays. Uh, there's going to be external influences that are going to, uh, uh, going to affect you, going to affect society. And so when I just think of today, I think, uh, and, and in the United States, uh, let's stay right here, the impact of technology on where we are, uh, the impact of the changing in our, our culture, our demographics, uh, the economic conditions in which we find ourselves today, those are things that at, at an early age, I ought to at least be studying and thinking a bit about where are we today, but what are the possibilities for the future so that I'm somewhat prepared and can flex and go with whatever that future holds. Well, Larry, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate your insight as far as, as, as leadership throughout your many years of service go. Before we end our interview today, I have a few questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yes. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Not everyone is a soloist, mm. but everyone has something to contribute. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A leader is trustworthy. A leader is flexible. And a leader is self-confident, but not prideful. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Given the organizational goal, the ultimate purpose, what is the best course of action for our constituents? whether they be clients, staff, others, today and in the future. Hmm. So focus on the goal. What's the best course for the constituents of today and the future? What book would you recommend to leaders? Uh, this sort of fits into something that I was talking about just a, a moment ago in the changing environment. Uh, one that I recently read is one called Marching Off the Map by Tim Elmore. And it talks about Generation Z and how they are developing and the point that it's getting at, whether you're an educator, you're an employer, or otherwise going to be dealing with the generation that has been born since 2000, how you might want to lead those groups. So marching off the map is, is sort of one that's current that I just read. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I'm going to make that things if I can. Remind yourself of the organization's goal. Okay both macro and micro. Know the situation. Are you in a crisis or is it normal course? And then study other leaders. And this is really the answer to your question. Study other leaders, assess the good, the bad, implement what makes sense to you. And finally, we have an arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think it depends on which direction you're looking. Okay. I ask why when I look back. And I analyze. And I do that to set the base for the looking forward, saying, why not? Mm. Why not do X, Y, Z to lead us into a better future? That's the most well-explained, non-committal answer we've had yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, thanks so much for your time today and for sharing from your wealth of leadership experience. We really appreciate it. It has been my pleasure. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Uh-huh.
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.